This is the big ponder. When I was a teenager in the UK, I had no real desire to visit America. To me, the USA was shopping malls and high schools full of football players and cheerleaders. It seemed so predictable, so ordinary. But then, one night, flipping through the channels on my parents' TV, I found a movie that changed everything. Easy Rider. Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper and Jack Nicholson riding across America on two chrome and steel Harley Davidsons. I watched miles of desert unfold in the distance, glistening blue skies and cavernous canyons. This America had nothing to do with strip malls and tanning salons. It was wild and endless. It was freedom. This was my first introduction to the great American road trip. It's about being free and, and doing what uh, what I want to do when I want to do it. You know, I don't like <laughs> rules. You stop where you want to stop. There's a time to talk, there's a time to laugh, and time to make the wrong detour. It looks like the land that time forgot, you know. <laughs> I keep waiting for a dinosaur to poke his head out around the corner. <laughs> there you go. Twenty-five years after that easy rider awakening, and I've made America my home. But after all this time, I've still never taken a road trip of my own. I was always so busy working. Life just got in the way. So last year, when news of the COVID vaccines finally arrived, it was clear. The time had come to put the pedal to the metal, except in a converted Honda Element instead of a Harley. This summer, I'm finally hitting the highway with my boyfriend, John. After a year of lockdowns and isolation, I want to know who else is out there on the open road. And is it everything they dreamed it would be? To find out, I'll be talking with locals, road trippers, and a few people who make their living on the interstate. So buckle your seatbelt and join us as we drive 2,000 miles from Los Angeles to Nashville. Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California. Our first stop, the iconic Zion National Park in southern Utah. Where we at? Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana. Oh, lots of M's. John and I leave LA in a heat wave. But as we drive into the desert and wind our way through the sparse wilderness of Nevada, we watch storm clouds gathering on the road ahead. Huge swaths of sky turn a dark, moody blue, and our phones screech with weather alerts. Much to our dismay, it's beginning to look like we might not make it to Zion today after all. By the time we arrive at Utah's Virgin River, the whole town is gathered on a bridge watching a thick black cascade of water stream down from the canyons above. We spot two men flying drones above the crowd. That was cool. So I ask him what's going on. So is the river usually like this or is this more? No, this is a flash flood. It's super dangerous. 
Adam Freeman owns a tubing business right here on the edge of the park, and he says the whole state of Utah is in the middle of a historic drought. We've been open for three years, and this is the first flash flood we've had, and usually they get them four or five times a summer. Monsoon season hits the southwest every year, but because the land is so dry here, it can't absorb sudden heavy rainfall. Instead, the water slides and gushes through the canyons, flooding washes in minutes, trapping hikers and tourists in steep gorges with no way out. Right now, just 10 miles to the east in Zion National Park, there's already a search and rescue operation underway. That's a road completely covered. Wow. Adam's friend Kramer shows us pictures of the entrance where cars have been submerged. And we thank our lucky stars we didn't get caught up in it ourselves. It's not quite the start we'd planned, but that's just the way road trips go. They're unpredictable and you have to roll with the punches. Since Zion's closed, Adam tells us we should meet a friend of his tomorrow, up in the mountains instead. And just like that, our plans have changed and the adventure has begun. Can you tell me what's special about a road trip instead of just flying somewhere and staying in a hotel? Because you can see everything with the road this, trip. Whatever you like, you see. You see people, the locals, yeah. the back rows. I don't think you really see the landscape change as much when you're on a plane. There's something really special about that. It just feels free just to be over the road, the driving, the, even the traffic. It's lovely. Just doing it. Just getting out and doing it. We're zigzagging our way up a Utah mountain road, heading into Cedar Breaks National Monument. It's a short drive from the desert floor, but the dry brush and rock has already given way to pine trees and wildflowers. The road switches back and climbs until finally, at 10,000 feet, we step out into a lush green forest at the crown of the Grand Staircase. Oh my God, that color is insane. Yes, the colors are... We meet Adam's friend, Matthias Schmidt, here. He's the dark sky coordinator at Cedar Breaks National Monument, one of 60 designated dark sky parks in the United States. Could you describe what we're looking at? We're looking at, you know, maybe 10 miles down the canyon with different layers of limestone and sandstone that are purple, red, whitish. It literally looks like the layers of a birthday cake. And you can just take a gigantic swab and get a sugar high, except that this isn't sugar. (laughs) This is a natural wonder. Matthias is from a small town in southern Germany named Zingen. And like me, he moved to America in his 20s and spent 15 years living in New York City. My friends ask me, what's New York City like? And I tell them it's like a very smoothly polished mirror. The way you feel about yourself, it reflects it back on you. So if you feel... Great and amazing, New York City can be a great and amazing place. And if you feel shitty about yourself, it's the shittiest place in the world. At the end of 2017, Matthias was firmly in the latter camp. He was burned out, anxious, overwhelmed. So he took a few vacation days and traveled to Oregon for the solar eclipse. Something happened 
to me and I got rejuvenated, invigorated. Of course, when you see your first eclipse, uh, you're speechless and your left brain doesn't know what to do with the right brain because all of a sudden where the sun was a moment ago, there's a black hole. And then last year, he started looking for jobs away from New York City, somewhere he could see the sky. And a few months later, he took a one-way road trip of his own. I left New York on a Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock after the movers uh, did their job, and I drove across the country in six days. And the first night I came up to the park to look at the night sky, and I went, wow! The Milky Way, there's... I can't see the constellations. There are so many stars. Oh, my God. (gasps) Yeah, you definitely made a good call. I made a very good call, yes. Standing here, looking out across the canyon with Matthias and John, I think about all the jobs I've had that kept me too busy for trips like this one. The gigs, the waitressing, the bartending chasing a dream that was always right around the corner. For the first time in a long time, the only place I want to be is exactly where I am. (laughs) How does it make you feel looking at landscape like this? At peace disconnected from technology and just the regular grind and connected to nature and God's beautiful creation. Like, I just want to take it all in. This is so primordial and ancient, and it'll be here long after we're gone. It's epic for us, but we are nothing. (laughs) We are nothing to this. You know, back home, we don't usually see all this. It's full of buildings and houses and homes, but out here, it's just sky and mountains and land and sunlight. It's just so magnificent and beautiful that every turn you're like, wow. (laughs) You want to stop and like, we got to get to the next point. John and I have to get to the next point too. 150 miles from the top of the Grand Staircase all the way to Arizona and the very bottom step. So tell me where we are right now. Oh, I'm sitting on a rock. It's on the uh, the north rim of the Grand Canyon and we're way too close to the edge. And what does it look like? It's really hard to describe it. Like Every couple of seconds the light changes so dramatically. Something that was like bright and vivid in an instant a cloud will go over and then it becomes completely in, in shadow and changes color and tone. What is that? There was a bird right underneath us and another one. Oh my gosh. The iridescent. So beautiful. Tonight, at a campsite just a few feet from the edge of the canyon, John and I eat our dinner in the dark and stare up at the sky. Do you see the Milky Way? No. Wait, so oh, wait, that's what I'm saying. That, yeah, Whoa. it's not clouds, it's the Milky Way. Right. Yeah. We find the Big Dipper and the North Star. We imagine the Earth rotating on its axis. And we tell each other how lucky we are to be here together in the back of our little Honda. 
As a family, do you think road trips bring you closer? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. We sing, we laugh, we talk about everything. Screams, yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> we forgot about all the problems Stress. back home. Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really gives time to talk and just catch up because, I mean, he works two jobs and I work six days a week. There's something about being in the car that kind of creates a different level of conversation and it's quality time even if we're not doing anything. But you can imagine what it's like, you know, for 12 people to sit in a 12-seat passenger and drive all the way from California. But we are, we are having fun. Of course we're going to fight. There are three people in a car. You fight, you get over it, and then you move on. <laughs> Back on the road, I spot an interesting-looking couple. They're standing next to a huge RV, and one of them has a beautifully groomed, white, ZZ Top-style beard. So we stop and ask them how their road trip's going. We're loving it. We are absolutely loving it. This is our dream. Joy and Roger Burl are from a small Georgia town named Bogart, and they're both 62 years old. We had planned all of our lives trying to manage money and finances and dreams and goals to where we could do a trip, a lifetime, a retirement like this. After 40 years of working in sales, Roger retired early, just a year ago, and the pair bought a Class C Sprinter Mercedes RV. I have to say it suits you. You're both just beaming. Oh, it, it has not disappointed us. You know, a lot of times you have this dream, and then once you get started, you're kind of like, well, this isn't really what I expected. This has been everything we could have expected and more. They've been on the road for 11 weeks so far and they're still going strong. We have a wedding that we have to go to on the Saturday before Thanksgiving so we have to be home by then. But uh, <laughs> Right now we're the beginning of July. So you yes, <laughs> yes, we have a long way to go. Uh, we're I have to admit I'm a little bit jealous of Roger and Joy and their retirement adventure. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend their 60s together, seeing the country and reveling in the freedom of the open road? But the thing is, John and I aren't traveling in a Mercedes RV. We're packed into the back of a Honda Element. And while we do love the adventure, moving into day seven of our trip, let's just say we're a little more intimate than we were when we started. How long has it been since we've had a shower? Just two days? I think just two days, I think. This being day two? Um, well, this being day three. I mean, this is day three. This is day three. The thing about a road trip that they don't really talk about on hashtag van life Instagram is there's not a lot of privacy, and it can be hard to keep the romance alive. Can you look the other way while I just yeah, freshen up? I can do that too. Okay. For four days straight, we were staying at some pretty rustic campsites, so the closest thing either of us came to a shower was a packet of baby wipes in the back of the car. Stinking up the Honda element. We spent the 4th of July in a Walmart parking lot, and between our neighbours letting off fireworks and John snoring, I didn't get a ton of sleep. And there isn't always a bathroom either, so you spend an awful lot of time talking about how and when you're going to find one. Yeah, I think we could go far away. I mean... Or where you're going to make one of your own. And then, um, 
And then we could just uh, find a couple of spots, you know? What if, oh. <laughs> I won't tell you whose fart that was. But I think we can all agree that road trip food isn't always the easiest to digest. What I'm saying is that it can get tough on the road, especially if you're on a budget. And if you need a break from one another, there's nowhere to go. Plus, and please don't take this personally, I just don't think John was always thrilled about having a microphone and an audience. I think at this point, we're both pretty a little bit road weary. Would you say that's accurate? Let's keep going. What's the most difficult thing about a road trip compared to flying or or something like that? These aren't very relaxing to drive. Yesterday we got lost on the Indian Reservation and the roads started to like get worse and worse and worse. We got stuck in some really bad weather. Probably the worst weather I've ever ridden in. And I could barely see. We, we had an accident on the way up. A deer hit our vehicle. So it's been kind of an adventure we didn't plan on going on. It looks fun and people think it's fun all the time, but it can be rough. We're driving through the Kaibab National Forest in Arizona, 1.6 million sprawling acres of wilderness. It looks like it's been burnt. On either side of the road, the forest thins, and we see a few charred patches of brown and black. And then suddenly, we round a corner. It's like the whole valley. The entire hillside is nothing but scorched earth and charred tree limbs. It goes on and on, all the way to the horizon. To comprehend how big this is. Oh my God, that whole hill. Ugh. Yeah. Like I think a lot of the stuff we've We seen don't know it yet, but we're driving through the remains yeah, yeah. of the largest fire in the history of Kaibab National Forest. The Mangum Fire began just one year ago and raged for an entire month, destroying over 70,000 acres of pinyon juniper and ponderosa pine. At its peak, the blaze was so huge, you could see the smoke from space. Keep thinking it's over, and then we come around a corner and there's just more black. I've seen forest fires on the news, but it's not something we deal with where we live. And it's a different experience to see the scale of it firsthand. I turn off my recorder, and John and I drive for a while in silence. We don't feel much like singing anymore. By the time we get to Colorado, we're starting to feel a little bit better. The heat of summer in the desert has broken in the mountains, and we both managed to get a good night's sleep. We're just outside Mesa Verde National Park when we spot a man near the entrance painting in the shade. So we pull over to investigate and meet Herbert Wilson and his wife Darlene. We're just selling all different kinds of jewelries. 
and uh, some paintings that we I do just to kill time and people buy it from me. John's a painter too, so he and Herbert talk shop for a while. And Herbert tells us he and Darlene grew up here and they were childhood sweethearts. But he went away to a boarding school, almost 2,000 miles away in South Carolina. He was gone all of junior and senior year. And as soon as he was done, he couldn't wait to get back home. just want to come back to my family. and I miss all my goats and sheep. I was raised herding sheep. And he did miss Darlene too. She was my girlfriend then. How long have you been married? 50 years. We're all goats. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, he loves goats. <laughs> From Herbert and Darlene to Adam, Matthias, Joy, Roger and all of the folks we've spoken to at parks, diners and gas stations, it's been so wonderful to connect with other people again. After this year of isolation and never-ending terrible news, the world can feel like a scary place. And it's true, it can be frightening. And things have not been easy for a lot of people, including John and I. But out here on the road, we're beginning to feel a little lighter. Shining, shimmering, splendid. Ten days into our trip, the wilderness of the West is behind us, and we've made it to the heartland. Fields of wheat and grain stretch out in every direction, and the road is one straight line from here all the way to the horizon. At this point, we are ready to start covering some miles. We miss our dog, and we could both use a meal that hasn't been soaked in water from the cooler. So when we pull into a gas station and truck stop in Kansas, I have an idea. If I really want to know about road trip endurance, I should probably ask a professional. So I head out past the pumps to the back lot, where a row of enormous semi-trucks are idling. Hi there. And see if I can flag down a few folks who um, might answer a question or two. Would you like to come up? Yeah, I'd love to come up. Right. Thank you. I grab the handles and clamber on in. Oh my gosh, I've never been inside a truck before. <laughs> James Rowell shows me around the cabin, and it's surprisingly roomy back there. So we've got an uh, area for my snacks, like popcorn, Rice Krispie Treats. There's a double bunk, a good-sized fridge, cabinets and a microwave you got to remember this is a 24 7 365 day job so even when you're home your mind is still on the road so it's a lifestyle you got to be 100 percent committed to that lifestyle james spent over 20 years in the military then he worked for the government for a while but he just couldn't settle in an office job so last year he went to cdl school to get his trucking license and now I make the decisions running this truck, where I run, how I run, when I run, those are all on me. So that's probably the best feeling in the world. But you don't make money when you're standing still. When I go home, yeah, it's honey do this, honey do that. After a while, it's like, I just gotta get back on the road because I gotta make money because I can't afford all this stuff that the honey wants. I can totally relate to what James is saying. Even though it can be tough, I love being the captain of my own ship. I love not knowing exactly what's going to happen tomorrow or where I'll be in the morning. But it's hard when road tripping is your job and I can't sit around talking to James all day. 
I've got a story to make. I've been driving trucks for about 38 years. So what keeps you doing it? Why haven't you given it up yet? It gets in your blood. It's diesel running through your veins. And can you tell me, how do you pass the time when you're driving a truck for hours and hours? I talk with the Lord. I listen to my music. Okay, I'm a little weird, but I love to listen to music that's been on movies, like uh, rock and Fast and Furious. <laughs> do you feel like you're in your own little movie? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Just puts me in the groove of everything. In the movies, truck drivers have like a name on the CB radio. Is that a real thing or is that just imaginary? Oh, you know, guys that truck together will have a call sign or a different name. Do you have a call sign? <laughs> uh, yeah, I go by Sunshine. I always tell the guys, hey, the sun's shining, everybody's happy. Do you ever get lonely on the road? Well, I sometimes. Call my son. Is he going to be a trucker? No, I told him I'd kick his butt. <laughs> How come? It's not good for family life. Always gone. So I, I missed a lot of him growing up. So I can't, I can't get that back, but he understands. We are at Graham Caves State Park in Missouri packing up the car at our final campsite of the trip and we are very excited. We have just six hours left on the road and neither of us can wait to get home to Nashville. Even though we are both dirty and dog tired, we have already been talking about taking another road trip in the spring. There's just so much more of the country to see. Of course, there are a few things we'll do differently next time. I'll plan a little bit more in advance, make sure we have at least some idea where we're sleeping before we leave, and we won't travel at the height of summer again either. But there's something else too. After almost 20 years of living in the US, I've realized that road trips aren't the only tradition I've embraced. I seem to have picked up a very American obsession with work as well. I mean, it took me over a decade to tear myself away for long enough to take this trip in the first place. And even then, I managed to bring my job with me and make a story about it. Now, don't get me wrong. It's been great having you along for the ride. But next time, I will not be bringing a microphone with me. Hello. All right, got a hot mic, hot mic. John seems to be quite enjoying having a go, though. We are now back in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. What are we doing? We are three minutes away from pulling in to retrieve our dog. 2,000 miles, three packets of baby wipes, and 14 bags of ice after leaving LA, we are finally home. Where's that doggy? And now, if you don't mind, I'm going to switch off the tape recorder and say hello to my dog. <laughs> but hey, if you're feeling adventurous, maybe we'll catch you out there on the road this spring. Before I sign off for real, I want to take a moment to say something important. This whole story is largely about the beauty and majesty of the American landscape, 
all of which has a long and storied history that stretches back many thousands of years before colonization. I want to acknowledge the painful history of genocide in all of the territory we visited, which includes six of the country's 29 states that housed native boarding schools until the 1970s. Finally, I would like to honor the many diverse indigenous peoples still connected to the land in this story and offer my deep respect and gratitude to the elders, both past and present, who've stewarded this incredible landscape for countless generations. We began our story in Los Angeles, the ancestral home of the Keech, Tongva, and Shumash. Our next stops were Virgin, Cedar Breaks, and Zion in Utah, as well as the Grand Canyon's North Rim in Arizona, all of which are the ancestral lands of the Pueblo and Southern Paiute. We went to Horseshoe Bend in Arizona, the traditional land of the Hopi, Navajo, Southern Paiute, Pueblo, and Ute. From there, we traveled to Mesa Verde in Southern Colorado and the ancestral lands of the Navajo, Pueblo, and Ute. We spoke with truckers in Holcomb, Kansas, the ancestral home of the Osage, Kiowa, Arapaho, Comanche, Pawnee, and Lakota, and also in Mascouta, Illinois, the traditional land of the Kickapoo, Kaskaskia, Osage, Miami, Quapa, and the Potawatomi. We spent our last night at Graham Caves State Park in Missouri, the ancestral home of the Kickapoo, Peoria, Kaskaskia, and Osage before coming home to Nashville, where I live on the ancestral lands of the Cherokee and Shawnee. This story was produced by me, Cariad Harmon, and edited by Rachel Aronoff, with special thanks to our consultant, Albert Bender. You've been listening to The Big Ponder. This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of the big pond that make this series possible. <laughs>